Week one of the NFL season has come and gone. The Packers are now 0-1 following an abysmal performance against the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. Is it time to panic? Is Joe Barry the man for the job? What's going on up front with that young offensive line? A lot to cover. We'll get into all that and more on this week one edition of the Weekly Cheese, the number one place for everything Green Bay Packer. Elected to receive and proceeded to move the ball at will. It was a thrill. We got so far ahead, we thought they were dead. It's true. Then came quarter two. We seemed to change. We played so strange. Why? I'll never know. But at halftime, our coach was fine. Damage to locker room property. Back on track, we gave him a whack, and in quarter four, closed the door. Now I'm sitting there in my easy chair, and I've got to wait a whole week for another game. It's a shame, but I'd uh, rather go on waiting another whole week than to never see you play again. Green Bay Packers, I love you. That goal, it's so emotional. I shed a tear, it's true. My Green Bay Packers, I'm in love with you. The way your lip is curling to produce that note, nice. (laughs) What's going on, everyone? It is the Weekly Cheese. I am your host, Joe Ivan. Packer Mike can't be here today. Got got something cooking on his end. Let me just speak for him real quick when I say he's very, very, very disappointed with what went on on the field on Sunday. The Packers fall to the New Orleans Saints 38-3 to in what was the most disappointing opening week game. Could have possibly even dreamt up. I'm joined by Weekly Cheese regular, someone you'll get to know over the course of this show, Chris. Joe, I'm no Packer Mike. I do love the Packers, though. I'm not a Packers fan. I'm a sideline Packers fan. I do love the Packers. But I'm excited to be here. Let's get this thing started. I don't think, by the way, there could have been anything more disappointing than the way the offseason went 
and then a week one performance like that. It, it really was just a, a disheartening performance from the Green Bay Packers. Unimaginable. It was a classic Matt LaFleur ass-kicking is what I like to refer to it as. It seems as if most of the time under this LaFleur regime, if if the Packers lose a game, especially in the regular season, like they're just getting the doors blown off of them. It's never close. You think back to San Francisco every time, except for that time last season when the San Francisco 49ers were plagued with all those injuries. But the, in the, the 2019 season, both Niners games were embarrassing. And last season, the Buccaneers game in the regular season was embarrassing. It's rarely ever a, an understandable loss, a, a loss that you can leave the game feeling good about in some way or another, an understandable loss. Like, it was a classic beatdown from start to finish. And yes, like you said, very disappointing after a very long and stressful offseason of uh, all the headaches that were constantly being jammed into our our skulls as Packer fans all offseason long. I know that the whole entire fan base was just really optimistic that from the moment that the Packers stepped foot on the field this season, they were just going to be on a mission. And it couldn't have seemed to be any less of what it was, a dream. It was it, the Packers got obliterated by the Saints on Sunday. To me, it almost seemed as if last year's problems, some of last year's unaddressed problems, were just re-exposed in Week One of this year. Yeah. I don't want to get anything into anything too prematurely, but some it, it almost came off that way. It it really did, and yes, there are still some glaring holes, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, that this season seemed to be showing themselves way earlier on than than they did in the past two seasons, uh, such as the defensive line. The front seven really as a whole, uh, not the best day for for Joe Barry and his his defensive unit on his first day on the job, Joe Barry, new defensive coordinator, uh, replaced Mike Pettin this past offseason. I know that apparently Joe Barry wasn't Matt LaFleur's first pick, but he was in the discussion and whether or not he was the first pick, second pick, third pick, what have you, he is the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. It is his third attempt at being a defensive coordinator in the National Football League, and it is easily the most talented defensive unit he's ever had at his disposal. So to see the defense come out so flat and and lifeless in week one, against a very, very vanilla Saints offense. It's not like they were doing anything uh, crazy out no, there. It was it was ugly what they were they were they were getting gaining yards ugly. It it was death by five trillion pinholes in the Packers defense on Sunday. It it was just slow monotonous strides. And we'll get into all that in a little bit when we go over the defense as a whole on Sunday. But First things first, let's just get into the Packers' offense this past Sunday against the Saints. It was very, very hard to watch. Aaron Rodgers, 15 for 28, 133 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, a 36.8 quarterback rating, which is the fourth worst he's ever had. And since I was going up against him in in fantasy this week, I know that he posted 1.3 fantasy points. One of the worst games of his career. Very, very stressful. Not what anyone wanted, probably Aaron the most. And yes, I understand that it's it deserves whatever criticism comes its way this week in the media. But let me just say, all this... BS that you see online regarding Aaron Rodgers throwing the game or playing bad on purpose to to give a, a, a nice fu to Goot or Bring something. Bring the Packers down from the inside. Yeah, it, all these crazy NFL conspiracies I'm seeing regarding what happened on Sunday. 
they just all need to come to an end. Aaron Rodgers is clearly not doing it on purpose. That was not a purposeful loss, purposeful bad throws, interceptions, what have you. It, it, that's not the case whatsoever. And I really want to see them put to bed immediately. He wants to play better more than anybody. I mean, and he's there's going money to. On, and essentially there's money on the table for Aaron Rodgers. It's not like he wants to come out and shit the bed and then go into next year or the year after and have zero leverage. I think Aaron Rodgers could, on to respond to what you just said, I think Aaron Rodgers could easily have a horrible, horrible season and get a contract somewhere next year from somewhere someone else. I don't think... If anything, the the conspiracy is he's being playing bad to force a trade. I've seen, like, he, Aaron Rodgers, he'll be fine. He has all the leverage in this situation, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I don't think that the, the way he plays this season has anything to do with what's going to happen next off season. I really don't. Uh, he, obviously, if he plays horrible, he's not going to get paid from like anything from the Packers, and he'll be off the Packers. But if the conspiracies are right, that's what he's trying to do. But that's all BS. And the biggest BS take I've seen since Sunday goes to the first stunad of the week right here on the Weekly Cheese. As everyone knows, last year it was the staccato of the week. It is now the stunad of the week, where I come at you with the the biggest clown of the weekend slash of the week, the biggest clown I've seen out there. And it, up until this afternoon, right before we started recording, I had Joe Buck penciled in as the stunad of the week, and I was going to just rail on him a little bit for – for some of the things he said and some of the photos that they showed of him, like there was this thing of him with Aaron, him and Aaron Rodgers as like Jeopardy hosts, like standing right next to one another, like side by side. I wanted to like flame Joe Buck a little bit, but that was quickly, quickly replaced moments before recording this by none other than the biggest loudmouth of them all, Jermichael Finley. Jermichael Finley said to TMZ just today that Aaron Rodgers, and I quote, doesn't have the NFL hunger or the hunger to go win another championship. Jermichael Finley says you can see it right through his helmet. The eyes and the face tells everything as a personality. And I just don't see the NFL hunger and just the hunger to go win another championship. Uh, Jermichael Finley always comes out of the woodworks with something to say that's negative about Aaron Rodgers. It seems as if ever since Jermichael Finley left the team, whenever something, whenever the going gets tough for Aaron Rodgers, Jermichael Finley is being quoted. And it's quite, quite irritating, if I do say so myself. And Chris, I don't know if you saw... Jermichael came out and said this today. Well, what, what do you think about Jermichael Finley yet again trying to bite Aaron Rodgers' clout and come out of nowhere to TMZ to drop an Aaron Rodgers headline? Yeah, I think it's no coincidence he just so happened to run into TMZ when he had this hot take fired up about Aaron Rodgers. But I don't know. There couldn't be a more attention-seeking take about the Packers right now. That's such an easy grab in my opinion. I mean... Yeah, I, I know. It's like, what, Jermichael Finley can't... Uh, he, what, he decide to come out and have the most obvious hot take of the week to TMZ? It, it, Especially, he's a serial hot taker about the Packers. All he so. does is say negative things about Aaron Rodgers, and then all these other people say, ex-teammates. They're talking about Jermichael Finley. The only ex-teammates that they're talking about are Jermichael Finley. And, and funny story that about Jermichael Finley... At the 2019 NFC Divisional Round playoff game at Lambeau Field against the the Seattle Seahawks, I was lucky enough to be in attendance of that game. I told the story last week on the Weekly Cheese. Uh, me and Mike were talking about how the Bulaga thing went down that weekend where he was out with some sort of stomach flu. Uh, that same game, as I was down by the, uh, the row one watching the Packers warm up before the game, 
uh, all of a sudden, a really, really uh, nice-looking lady in, like, this extremely expensive snowsuit. Like, she was literally looked like she just got back from the moon. Like, she was wearing this silver, like, metallic like, 3M sort of, like, skiing suit. It looked like she's just got off the, the Colorado mountains out there. And she asked me and my cousin, Katie, to take – if we would take a picture of their family. And all of a sudden, of course, Katie says, yes, she'll – take a picture of their family, and then all of a sudden she goes, Jermichael! And Jermichael Finley walks down, and we take a photo of Jermichael Finley's lovely family, and after that, I was, was sort of like, oh, that was kind of cool. I just was inches away from Jermichael Finley, and I got... After today, if I could go back in time, I would tell her no. Wow. I would tell her no. I, I would say, no, I'm sorry, ma'am. I, I do not want to take your photo. All because I've had enough of Jermichael Finley. He was great tight end. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's a shame that he didn't have a longer career. But I'm sick and tired of Jermichael, Jermichael Finley coming out of nowhere with these Aaron Rodgers hit pieces. And uh, that makes him this week's Stunad of the Week. Um, but now that we have that out of the way, Aaron Rodgers is still uh, no need to overreact to one bad game to start the year from Aaron Rodgers. But with that being said, it was it was a very rough performance not just from Aaron Rodgers the entire Packers offense they couldn't move the ball pretty much the entirety of the first half uh, they they only had 12 plays in the first 29 minutes of the game the only scoring drive of the entire game came with one minute left in the first half after the the one shining play of the game Aaron deep to Devontae uh, basically threw it into double coverage. There was a safety real high there, and Aaron threw the ball to one spot where Devon... It was, it was a three... Beautiful throw and catch. And, and outside of that, it was just a rough game in, in its entirety. He did have a horrible interception thrown in the red zone. Granted, the, the protection from the right side of the line, I, I believe Royce Newman, rookie uh, guard, did didn't hold up the best, and Aaron was forced to roll out. Aaron was on McAfee. He did say that he wants to go on the record and state that he threw that because he got kicked in the in the in the gonads or what have you. So hard to blame him there. It was a bad interception, and then the second interception was really just Aaron Rodgers with a very uncharacteristic uh, Brett Favre chuck. He just chucked it down the field. Yeah, yeah. That second one, that second one was one of the worst throws I've ever seen him make. But it, he he's not. Gonna, we don't have to worry about Aaron Rodgers throwing an interception like that ever again this season. Like he just, it was a Brett Favre heave. He just he thought he saw something. He didn't have it. He threw it. it we're the Packers were getting destroyed at that point anyway. That that interception was done nearly as detrimental as that first interception. Uh, we're driving in the third quarter. A touchdown there it puts it within one score. At that point, it was only a thirteen point, uh, thirteen point game, so or fourteen point game. So it was not out of reach. But then throwing an, an interception there, having it returned as far as it was, the game was kind of wrapped up at that point. Um, the wide receivers didn't really have a chance to get going uh, with the too high. Uh, too high cover, a cover two they were throwing out there. Uh, they decided to play a lot of 11 personnel, the three main receivers being Devontae, Lazard, and MVS. Devontae had about 40 snaps, Lazard 39, MVS 36. And th the, really the only productive one out of the whole bunch was Devontae Adams, five receptions for 53 yards. And, and that was the most productivity that the entire offense saw. Other than that, Lazard had two completions for 16 yards, and MBS had three for 17. The other three receivers that played, they played 15 snaps each. Randall, one for 32. Amari Rogers caught his first ball, one for 19. And Malik Taylor, two for 14 in garbage time. Um, but the Saints were in a lot of cover, too, and the receivers were really just unable to get open. And, and it was just an overall quiet day from not just the, the receiver unit, um, but the offense at a whole. So it was really hard to gauge how the receivers were going to perform for the rest of the season. I chalk it up to uh, 
being unable to get the ball going and just playing right into Sean Payton's hands there that played right into the Saints' hands with the way the defense was playing him. That co- that too high safety, that cover two, they were basically daring Matt LaFleur to run the ball, and for some reason he just would not run the ball. He, he, he really it, – it was mind-numbing to me. The running attack was absolutely non-existent in any way, shape, or form. 14 total carries for, for 43 total yards. Nine total carries with the first two guys on the team, our our $40 million running back, and and A.J. Dillon, the, the young second-year guy. The, the Thunder and Lightning, nine carries. It, it was just – or 12 carries, however many. I know Aaron Jones had nine carries for uh, five carries for nine yards, and A.J. Dillon had four carries for 19 yards. So nine total carries. Uh, it was just very, very mind numbing to me to see the Packers keep spreading the field, going f- empty backfield sets and, and trying to move the ball that way when clearly the success the offense had in 2019 and then even more success they had in 2020 was all due to the the fact that they were able to establish the run early and then work in that play action. It was really tough to watch. Um, overall, the Packers' running attack averaged just under three yards per carry. Um, the Saints were just shutting down the running attack early, abusing the, the interior of the offensive line, and I don't know for whatever reason it's see Matt LaFleur just did not want to go back to it. it they abandoned the run tr- and it led to quick and early punts and then the Saints responded with long offensive drives of their own keeping the the Packers offense on the sideline for the bulk of the first half and since the Saints were able to swallow up the run and basically negate the entire rushing attack the Green Bay Packers had had planned for the day. And they were able to apply pressure to Aaron Rodgers with just their front four. It was just an overall brutal day for the Packers' offense. Uh, the offensive line wasn't atrocious. I wouldn't say I was, I was disappointed with the play of the offensive line, but it really could have been better, especially in the run game. The countdown to Bach here on the Weekly Cheese is now at five weeks. Um, the starting offensive line in the wake of Bach, as we believed it to be, um, was Elton Jenkins at the left tackle position, Lucas Patrick at the left guard, Josh Myers, rookie at the center, Royce Newman, rookie at the right guard, and Billy Turner was playing the right tackle. Uh, Elton Jenkins and Billy Turner were, were as solid as they come. Um, as expected, Jenkins only gave up one pressure in his 41 pass protections, and he was a beast in in the run game. I believe PFF, he was the highest graded player by PFF for the Packers that game. I think it was like 86. And yeah, as advertised, Elton Jenkins can play every single position on the offensive line without hiccup. Exactly. Having the countdown to Bach now at five weeks. Countdown to Bach, I repeat, five weeks. <laughs> you yeah, well, it's the countdown to Bach here on the Weekly Cheese. And in the meantime, as touched on last week, the Packers were relying on two rookies to start on the interior of the offensive line. And there were talks of, in the preseason and this past offseason, there were concerns to be had with the fact that the Packers were lining up two rookies in the interior of the offensive line. And those preseason concerns were kind of put on display on Saturday um, as the interior of the line struggled a little bit, specifically blocking for the run. Uh, But they also, the line as a whole, allowed two sacks and seven quarterback hits. Um, The pressure... they did a good job at protecting Aaron Rodgers for the most part, as had been touched upon by nearly everyone that that talked about it, Aaron, LaFleur, and so on. But it, it was not a perfect performance by any means. Uh, Lucas Patrick got absolutely destroyed on the second drive of the game. 
Uh, Royce Newman, the rookie right guard, he, he had a tough day. He, he had to block Cam Jordan. For, tough first day on the job for him. And ultimately, Myers and Newman just couldn't push the line or open holes for Jones and Dylan. Um, but with that being said, it's really hard to judge, in my opinion, how they di- how they block for the run. Like that, people are talking about how the the rookie center Josh Myers needs to block a little better for the run, but they ran the ball nine times when the starters were in there. It's like, how is it fair to really judge uh, an offensive line on their run block ability with just nine nine attempts? You know what I mean? It. it so there's still more to see, but with that being said, it's going to be great to get Bach back in the in the mix. It'll allow Elton Jenkins to move back to the left guard position, and then whoever wins their spot, it's going to be either Royce Newman or Lucas Patrick filling in that right guard spot once Bach's back. It'll be interesting to see who it is. And after week one, I don't think either of them distinguished themselves. Uh, they both had some pretty ugly, ugly snaps out there I will highlight uh I don't remember exactly at which point of the game but I did see Royce Newman just light up a man on on New Orleans he was getting blocked already and Newman kind of came in as a second blocker after the fact and he just wrecked him I didn't see who it was but I remember having a good laugh when I saw Newman do that but uh it's going to be interesting to see how the Packers offensive line progresses as they get more snaps under their belt and uh, Royce Newman and Josh Myers really get comfortable as being starters in the National Football League. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, all in all, I'd give the Packers offensive line about like a 6 out of 10. It was an overall disappointing Sunday and opening performance for the Packers offense, who last season was the, the number one scoring offense in football. And I could confidently say that I believe everything will turn around on Monday. Uh, but with that being said, Matt LaFleur needs to go back to what makes the offense tick, and that is establishing the run. Nine runs with the with the two top backs is unacceptable. I understand that the first half was basically a wash, only being able to run 12 plays in the first 29 minutes of the game is is never Abismal. a good place to be as a, in an, as an offense. And a big part of that was due to the defense's inability to get off the field. It was just frustrating. It was absolutely frustrating, the fact the defense couldn't get off the field. So it's very hard to to nitpick what happened with the offense, except for the fact that there was no run game to speak of. Absolutely no run game to speak of. The, the Saints were running a very simple coverage I mean for the most part they did they didn't stack the box they, they were just rushing four guys six guys and they were wreaking havoc they were they were beating the offensive line Aaron didn't have all the time in the world back there he did have to to move around he was under pressure a lot and th- th- they were just blanketing the receivers receivers didn't have time to get open they were covered pretty well and even the passes Aaron was completing, they were in tight holes. There was nothing smooth about the pass game. And and the run game was non-existent. So it's pretty hard to judge. All I can say is I expect better things to come starting in week two. And yeah, things will turn around. This Packers offense will get back to being the high-powered, high-octane offense that it was last year. I, I, I'm confident of it. It's the same cast of characters out there. Bach comes back week six, but even before then, I expect this offense to obviously get better than they were on Sunday. But let's talk about this Packers defense. The Packers defense was not able to get off the field, uh, especially in the first half. Joe Barry's first game as the defensive coordinator was not good. I know there was a lot of scrutiny with the Joe Barry hiring to begin with. A lot of people weren't a fan of the hiring. I chose to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I was optimistic with the hiring due to the fact that he was with the Rams and those were some successful defenses he was a part of, the coaching staff of, but not a great performance. They allowed two back-to-back 15-play drives in the first half, 
It really was reminiscent of the 2019 NFC Championship game. The Saints only threw the ball 21 times. Jameis Winston had like 148 passing yards, and they ran for over 170 yards as a team. It was classic beatdown of a Packers defense. They allowed Jameis to look like Lamar Jackson. Exactly. And no knock to Jameis Winston. He did great. He did his job. But only throwing the ball 21 times and rushing for 170 yards, it's it's literally a flashback to the NFC Championship game in 2019 when when the San Francisco 49ers did the same exact thing. The Packers' defensive front was completely unable to win the point of attack and was getting completely manhandled by the Saints' offensive line. There was absolutely no noticeable plays made by anyone along the Packers' defensive line. Kenny Clark, he's the clearly the best lineman the Packers have on the team. He was constantly getting moved off his spot. Dean Lowry had a abysmal performance highlighted by his offsides penalty on the fourth and goal in, in, on the Saints' three-yard line, a, a chance to stop them and gain some momentum. Dean Lowry jumps offside, put them on the half-yard line, and that was a touchdown. Tyler Lancaster did exactly what you believe Tyler Lancaster to do. Uh, it was a classic Lancaster performance. Uh, just went in there and, and did his job to the best of his ability. We're a Lancaster podcast here on the Weekly Cheese. We love the guy, but it's Tyler Lancaster here. You know exactly what he did. Uh, Kingsley Kiki, apparently coming into this season, put on some weight in hopes to help him uh, improve his run defense and clog up those those gaps. But So far, it's only slowed him down. Yeah, the weight didn't seem to help whatsoever. He got absolutely just manhandled uh, when trying to defend the run on Sunday. He didn't generate one pressure. He, he, he rushed the passer 11 times. He didn't get into that backfield once. And Pro Football Focus had him as the lowest-rated Packer on the entire teams on Sunday with 36.8 rating. And a, it, just a tough opening day from Kingsley Kiki. And with all this lack of production amongst the Packers' defensive line, it was very surprising to see T.J. Slayton only get 16 snaps. You would think the draft pick, big man from Florida, uh, obviously has the size and strength and athleticism to contribute on a pa- on the Packers' defensive line. Just 16 snaps on a day where not, no one was doing anything. It was just a very flat and stale performance from the Packers' defensive line. And, and they lined up with a base defense basically the entire game. Uh, I thought the acquisition of Joe Barry and replacing Mike Pettin was to to run a little more of an aggressive defense. I, I thought maybe we would throw a safety in the box and, and, and have little different looks out there. But nope, lined up in the base defense, rushed three at a minimum, had three D lineman in there at all times, basically, and two middle linebackers. Uh, Devondre Campbell and Chris Barnes played a huge number of snaps each. Devondre Campbell played 56. Chris Barnes played 47. Uh, They combined for 14 tackles, but really all their tackles came a couple yards downfield. The Saints were three yards in a cloud of dust all day long. Uh, Campbell, I guess, played all right. Definitely uh, an improvement from Christian Kirksey. uh, But very pedestrian performance from the defense as a whole. um, And a pedestrian performance from from Devondre Campbell. Uh, It's exactly what you'd expect from a a veteran free agent middle linebacker later in his career. And and Chris Barnes was absolutely a non-factor all game. Uh, In the run game, he was constantly being just destroyed by blockers uh he wasn't doing anything in the pass rush capacity pro football gave him like a 42 or something <laughs> he they were just low grades everywhere on the packers defense according to pro football focus if that means anything to to, to the, the listeners out there but the packers front seven has been a problem for 
quite some time now, uh, and it seems as if they're going to struggle this season once again, and it could become a, a huge area of concern as the season progresses. Injuries start stacking up, and you got a guy like Ty Summers being plugged in there uh, for, for major snaps in the middle of the season. And it, it, it's foolish to have believed, which I kind of convinced myself this past offseason was a positive thing that we went in there and got Devondre Campbell, but it, it was foolish of me to get hyped over it, and it was it's just it's very ignorant to think that signing a veteran journeyman like a Devondre Campbell uh, and, and drafting a, a defensive tackle in the fourth round was going to be enough to really spruce up the Packers' front seven and, and make them into a feared defense in the NFL. It, it just isn't the case, and, and they seem to be just as bad, if not worse, than ever before in week one this year. And it's very heart it's heart-wrenching and disappointing to watch when you look back on what has transpired with some personnel decisions over the past several years and when you look around the NFL at, at these younger players that are, are really making plays for their teams, such as a, a Patrick Queen in, in Baltimore who looked very good on Monday night and, and was laying out some mean hits and... The, I believe he's got the nickname Baby Ray down there in Baltimore. He looks great. You see Blake Martinez leading the league in tackles for the Giants last season. Yeah, he was on the Giants and they weren't a great team, but Blake Martinez, you didn't realize how much you missed him until we're in the circumstance we're in now and having Blake Martinez would be awesome. And then you, the biggest and most heart-wrenching one to see is T.J. Watt. The Packers had the pick right before the Steelers in that draft. Unbelievable. And they, dra and, they, and they traded out of the first round. I was up visiting Packer Mike at his college. We were watching that draft together, and we could have sworn T.J. Watt was coming to Green Bay. Like, we were set on it. And the Packers traded out of the first round, and the ne very next pick, the, the Steelers draft T.J. Watt. That's unbelievable. And when you see all this out there – and the. T.J. Watt's the best defender in the league. He's the he's the he's best defensive player man. in the league. And he just got paid all that money. And how awesome would it be to see him on the Green Bay Packers? But no, we have Devondre Campbell. We have undrafted Chris Barnes. And we have we have Tyler Lancaster. And it's, it's, it is it's what noticeable. it is. But it's just very disappointing to look at these young guys in the league and think that the Packers could have easily had them on their roster. On a more positive note, there were a couple of encouraging things going on, on out there on the, on the defensive side of the ball if you choose to, to look for them. If you look for the positives, you could find them. And in this case, the outside linebackers group had a couple nice performances. Yeah, the edge rush and the pass rush was all but neutralized as a whole. And I'm not saying that the, the Packers' pass rush was amazing on Sunday or anything like that. They finished the game with no sacks and three quarterback hits. It was very, very minimal production from them as a unit. That's due in part to the fact that Darius Smith was limited to just playing on passing downs as he recovers from his injury. Played just 18 snaps on the day. He had a very slow start. He was obvious. It was obvious he wasn't maybe in football shape or up to speed with everything going on because he hasn't been practicing much. Uh, it's very slow start from him. He did have that amazing play where he where he hit Jameis Winston and he, Jameis threw an interception. That was a bad. I disagree with that roughing the passer call. I thought was that was a call. horrible call, in my, in my opinion. It was a bad call. He had an amazing, amazing play that was taken away from him. What but else could you have asked him to do on that play? I it mean, was textbook. It was textbook. It was, it, was, it was absolutely a textbook play by Zadarius Smith. But with that being said, he had a very slow start to the, to the season, just 18 snaps. Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary, on the other hand, started the game. We're on the field for the majority of the game. 
they were tagged out by Jonathan Garvin and, and Chauncey Rivers, Garvin getting 27 snaps and Rivers getting 11 snaps. And Preston Smith started the game very strong. He had a decent performance, all things considered. Uh, he, he played with a lot more energy in this game than he did the, basically the entirety of all, all last season. He had a nice hit on, on Jameis Winston. He was able to hold the edge and stop the run on th- three times, I noticed. And he finished the day with a, a pro football focus grade of 86.3. Uh, he is clearly incentivized to play hard. And if that's the, the energy and, and effort we're going to get out of Preston Smith this season, I think that's only a positive for the Packers' pass rush that can only improve as the season co- goes along as Zadarius Smith gets back up to speed. And, and Rashawn Gary, in my opinion, was one of the few bright spots for the Packers. Unlike Preston Smith, who started very strong and sort of fizzled out, in my opinion, as the game went on, uh, I thought there was sort of a drop of energy come from Preston Smith as the game wore on. But Rashawn Gary is on go mode every single play of the game. Uh, he played his ass off. Great energy, and he led the team with four pressures to, to to prove the fact that he was playing with energy. He pressured the quarterback four times. He had two quarterback hits. Uh, he had a great run stuff on third and goal, which was followed up by that extremely athletic play that he had to perform. Uh, it was a crazy play by Jameis Winston, and he was able to throw a touchdown pass on the play uh, in the back of the end zone. Adrian Amos sort of lost the ball basically just tackled the guy after he caught it. But with that being said, Rashawn Gary had a very athletic move on that play. Uh, if it wasn't for Dean Lowry getting blocked low and sort of like uh, scooting back uh, his his lower body a little bit, Rashawn Gary kind of had to jump over Dean Lowry on the play, and it kind of slowed him up from getting to James Winston. If not for that, it would have been a sack, and it would have been a huge momentum play on fourth down. But no, Dean Lowry gets in his way, and uh, Rashawn Gary is a second late, and Jameis is able to throw the touchdown. But back-to-back great plays by Rashawn Gary uh, on that on that drive by uh, the New Orleans Saints, and he almost prevented points in its entirety, almost turned them over on downs because of it. Um, but with that being said, when those two weren't on the field together and Garvin or Rivers were in there, oh, my God. It could not have been worse. I mean, Jonathan Garvin, second-year man, uh, he was practice practically absolutely invisible out there. I only ever noticed him, that, and I even noticed he was in the game and he was running off the field. I saw 53, Garvin was running off the field. I was like, oh, my God. What? I didn't even – he was invisible out there. Uh, he had no impact whatsoever in both the run and pass game. Uh, not a great start from John Garvin, who, who was coming off a very underwhelming preseason, might I add. He didn't do much in preseason. Uh, was an absolute non-factor in the game on Sunday. And, and Chauncey Rivers, uh, he was in there for 11 plays, and again, absolutely nothing out of Chauncey Rivers. Uh, and it's a little concerning to think that those guys might be playing a large number of snaps for the Packers as this season progresses. Uh I, the, the only hope is that they can get up to speed and gain some confidence <laughs> in an NFL game and apply some pressure because there was times there where Jameis Winston had all the time in the world. He could have sat down and ate a three-course meal back there in the pocket sometimes with the very little pressure that was being applied to him. Yeah, he had all the time in the world. He has, also had a lot of space. He had all the space in the world on, I don't know, 80% of the snaps. He could have just you know, taken a three, four-step drop and sprinted forward for a gain of six or seven and called it a game there. It was unbelievable. It also comes is apparent that the Packers have a hard time covering the middle of the field, whether that's the linebackers or whatever. It was it, They formed almost a, a donut or a square formation around the offense and allowed the middle of the field to be wide open for either – ridiculous crossing routes or Jameis to scoot up a little bit or Kamara to get a couple extra it was just unbelievable yeah the 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 Packers ability to to shut down the center of the field stop the run and and stop the the short little completions to the center of the field has been an issue for for two three years now and again bringing in Joe Barry you would have thought that these were things that were going to be addressed but 
No. It was just the same old Packers defense. It was every negative aspect of the Mike Pettin era bundled up in a nice little package there for us on Sunday. And and the lack of pressure that the Packers were able to apply and, and the lack of aggression that Joe Barry was 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 lining them up. He was not aggressive whatsoever. Again, it, it just made life that much more difficult for the secondary. Uh, and it would have been nice to see Joe Barry throw someone in the box there, but exactly. Um, and knowing Jameis and knowing the way he, you know, he the way he is, you would have liked to apply pressure to him and force him to get uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, it's the, not like the he's time a he had back there passer. was crazy, and it made and it made life very difficult for the Packers secondary. The Packers only had three safeties active for the game. Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage took the majority of the snaps, and then Henry Black came in for like 14 snaps here and there, especially at the end of the game when it was garbage time and all the backups were in. Um, and, and Darnell Savage actually ended up banging up his shoulder a little bit. Let's hope it's not anything too serious and he's out there on Monday. Um, Darnell Savage should have been credited with the team's only turnover of the game, uh, if not for that horrible roughing the passer call on Zadarius Smith. Uh, that was a great play by Darnell Savage, good hands. Amos had nine tackles, but again, on that play by Rashawn Gary, he did lose track of his man uh, and lost track of the ball. The safeties were kind of being picked on by Jameis, especially considering that Darnell Sab, uh, Jair Alexander was absolutely shutting down shutting his side down. of the field. Uh, Jair Alexander is, uh, he's an island. He shuts down one complete side of the field. Like I said, last week I, I highlighted the fact that the secondary will be okay if everyone not named Jair Alexander just does their job because he's going to he's so good. And unfortunately, Jameis Winston was, had was comfortable in the pocket and he had time to just pick apart the uh, other corners on the team and and the safeties, specifically Kevin King and and this storyline with the Packers secondary and uh, the Kevin King is. The biggest thing to keep an eye on for this Packers defensive unit moving forward. Uh, it's how long does Kevin King have as the Packers starting corner? How long is it until he gets benched for Eric Stokes? Um, Kevin King played 56 snaps on Sunday. Uh, and he honestly picked up right where he left off last season in the NFC Championship game. Uh, meanwhile, Eric Stokes plays eight snaps, and, and he shines. He, he shines in his eight snaps. In 56 snaps, Kevin King gave up two completions for 72 yards and a touchdown. When targeting Kevin King, Jameis Winston had a passer rating of 158. Oh, my God. Um, and those two completions that Kevin King gave up, they literally sum up the Kevin King experience. They They... they they, it's the Kevin King, King experience in a nutshell. The first completion, he got completely turned around playing off coverage. He wasn't even pressed and, and getting up in his man. He was in off coverage, and he got completely turned around. And on the second one, he got completely burned while playing press coverage, a uh, 55-yard touchdown, and he didn't have the recovery speed to, to get to him, just like the Scotty Miller play in, in the NFC Championship game. It was like the same exact play. Kevin King just gets completely cooked right off the line of scrimmage. It, it was infuriating. It, it was absolutely infuriating. Then you couple that with the fact that Shannon Sullivan got beat numerous times on Sunday. It, it was the same old Packers secondary. And the fact that Eric Stokes came in for only eight snaps and in his eight snaps broke up the only pass of the game for the Green Bay Packers makes it that much more clear that, that Kevin King's his, his time as the Packers starter has to be numbered. His spot needs to be up for grabs. I would say starting Monday. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. Kevin King, uh, he's back on the one-year deal. Very questionable re-sign. I know a lot of people were frustrated with the fact that he's back. And not not a great first day for Kevin King. Uh, in 2021 and you could only hope that maybe Stokes impeding on some of Kevin King's snaps forces Kevin King to step up his play but I hope King gets uh, King gets benched 
soon and Stokes gets on the field and can get some experience here because something needs to change. The Packers' defense cannot continue on like this. Something needs to change, and I think it starts with getting the rookies in there for more snaps. T.J. Slayton on the offense, on the defensive line, and Eric Stokes in the secondary. They need to be on the field getting some experience here because uh, they can't play worse. Yeah, I think Kevin King was exposed in, you know, fifty all fifty plus snaps that he took. I think it was Marque- Marquez, Marquez Callaway, you could correct me if I'm wrong, who Jair silenced. I mean, you didn't hear anything from him that game. Troutman could have been on that side, but I could be mistaken. And then all you hear every play is Deontay Harris, Deontay Harris, Deontay Harris. And it's Kevin King. And on top of it, Kevin King is a wimpy tackler. He does not make good tackles. And he's bad at tackling when the run's coming towards his side on the outside, in my opinion. I'm not a Kevin King guy, but I also don't pay attention as closely I think Kevin King needs to get out of there. Eric Stokes, welcome to Green Bay. You can only hope, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens in week two. Uh, Because week two, uh, and who would have ever thought that this would be the case, but week two matchup against the Detroit Lions is a pivotal game in this Packers season. It's finally a big game again. It's it's pivotal. That's not to say that, the, of course, the Detroit Lions games count every single year. They're divisional opponents. You play them twice a year. Got to win divisional games. Um, but it's pivotal. It's not time to panic yet in Packer Nation, despite how abysmal Sunday's performance was. I, I have been seeing online, I know Aaron spoke about it on the McAfee show, Last year, the Buccaneers lost to the Saints 38-3 to in Week 1. And I'm not saying that that means the Packers are bound to win the Super Bowl or anything like that. But I, I do believe that's a good example that what happens in Week 1 ultimately does not matter. It, it doesn't have to it, – it, it's no need to panic. That's, that's the message you could get from seeing that little graphic everywhere on the Internet uh, regarding the Buccaneers losing to the Saints. It's just coincidence that we lost to the Saints by that much in Week 1, just like the Buccaneers did last season. But that is an example of it's no need to panic just yet. It was just one game. And I believe that the Packers are going to turn it around come Monday night against the Detroit Lions. With that being said, if... We're sitting here on the Weekly Cheese having the same exact discussion next week about this Packers team. Then it's red It's red alert. It is, it is uh, time to panic. It is time to hit the panic button if after Monday night against the Detroit Lions uh, we have the same feeling about this Packers squad because it does not get easier after – Monday against the Lions. After Monday against the Lions, we go to San Fran for Sunday night, and then we're home against the Steelers. Back-to-back tough games with good defenses. So this Lions game, one in three. The offensive line needs to come together on Monday night. It it all needs to come together on Monday night. They need to find their cohesion. Something needs to change. They need, yes, I agree. It all needs to together on Monday night and let's just go over some keys to victory for the Packers Monday against the Detroit Lions because at this point the Detroit Lions are are they're not the Lions of old there is a new regime there with Dan Campbell the guy's an absolute maniac the bite the kneecaps press conference uh sound bite that he had and uh just the total attitude of that team. They play hard. It's The Lions game is always a tough one for the Packers. Year in and year out, we have a nail-biter with them. Uh, who could forget the Mason Crosby Lambeau leap uh, from, ni- from 19? I mean, the Lions games are always close. And, and the key to victory for the Packers needs to be to establish dominance in the run game early on both sides of the football. The Packers need to dominate the trenches on both sides. The front seven needs to be able to stop the run, first and foremost. The Lions have two very good running backs in DeAndre Swift and 
our beloved Jamal Williams. It's tough. Uh, they both played extremely well in their loss to the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday. Yeah, they were getting the, their teeth kicked in early on, the Lions, but they turned it around. They showed grit. They showed that, they, that they're not a team to be pushed around. And, and they scored 33 points against a very good San Francisco defense. And it's mainly because those two running backs. Uh, Jamal Williams, after week one, was number three in fantasy points for all running backs. Good to see him having success in his new home. Uh, but it's going to be up, up to the Packers' defense as a whole. They need to stop the run. They need to make Goff uncomfortable. And they need to get off the field. On Sunday against the Saints, the Saints dominated time of possession by manhandling the Packers' defensive line, moving the ball methodically down the field. Uh, and again, with one minute to go in the first half, the Packers were outsnapped 39 to 12. Joe Barry needs to put together a better game plan. The defense needs to play with aggression. They can't be in their uh, base defenses. This four-man rush, not getting any pressure, no blitz packages, uh, not stacking the box with an extra safety. Uh, none of the crazy, aggressive looks and new uh, wrinkles we thought as fans we were going to see with, uh, with new defensive coordinator Joe Barry in there. It can't be Mike Pettin 2.0 out there. Uh, the Mike Pettin era came to an end due to lack of aggression and his his reluctance to, to attack the quarterback and, and rush more than three, four guys. That's a, That was the main qualm with his defense, and nothing changed on Sunday. So Joe Barry needs to go in there with a better game plan. He needs to have the guys ready to go. He needs to be able to apply pressure to Jared Goff, stop the run, the secondary needs to stop blowing coverages. And ultimately, they need to be able to get off the field. It, it comes down to that. If they, if the Packers' defense cannot get off the field against the Detroit Lions and, and we're watching the same defense that we saw Sunday against the Saints, red alert, it's time to panic. It starts up front with the Packers' front seven. They need to come ready to play, and they need to come ready to dominate. And with that being said, the offensive line on the Packers' side, they need to do a better job creating holes and generating a push, especially on the interior. Lucas Patrick, uh, Josh Myers, and, and Royce Newman, they need to figure it out. It, it's it's going to come with time and experience, especially for the two rookies, but Lucas Patrick is a veteran at this point. They need to, run, they need to be able to run the ball, and it starts with a push up front. They need to win the push. Uh, but with that being said, Matt LaFleur needs to get back to what made this Packers offense so potent last season, and that's a healthy balance of pass and run and establishing the run early. Running the ball nine times with combined with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon it was detrimental. It, it, it completely took the Packers offense out of rhythm. Uh, it, it made the offensive line out of rhythm. It just it totally affected the game, especially going up – against a Saints defense that was forcing Matt LaFleur to run the ball uh, with their with their cover too. It was it was clear as day that they were rushing four, getting pressure with four, and they were stopping the run with four. It was Matt LaFleur needed to the, – the running and passing stats should have been flipped. It should have been – it should have been nine passes thrown. And and forty one <laughs> runs or what ha whatever it would have came out to, but Matt Lafleur needs to go in there with a with a better game plan. He needs to be willing to adjust on the fly, and and the Packers need to get back to playing Packers offense. And I think they can against against the Detroit Lions come Monday. And it, it's going to be they're going to need to. It's gut check time for this Packers team. It is gut check time. Monday is a great opportunity to turn things around, and it'll be interesting to see if they can. Yeah, I think it'll be a confidence booster, you know, all things considered if everything goes well. I think the line will have any the Packers line will have an easier time dealing with the the Lions defense and I think establishing the run, it, like you said it, you know, a couple times during the show here, but you need to establish the run because it's their bread and butter. I mean, the Packers are better at play action than anybody else. Aaron sells it amazing and it's ultimately what gets them their chunks of yards. 
and they had none of that. The, the The run was no threat, and I think this could be a huge confident confidence booster for the offense and the defense. Yeah, we, and they just paid Aaron Jones a massive contract only to give him five exactly. five carries, five carries with Aaron Jones. That's a doesn't even make sense. So no need to panic. Hit the reset button. And I'm optimistic that week two through week 17, the Packers are going to play Packer football and dominate. Uh, but it does start up front. It starts with the defense. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see the product that is put on the field for the Packers come Monday. Uh, the defense is going to have to come out ready to play, stop the run, get after Goff. And there needs to be a sense of togetherness and tenacity that was lacking in all phases of the the game on Sunday. The, the one bright spot of the entire game besides Rashawn Gary's energy and, and, and Elton Jenkins being the most badass lineman in football was Corey Bohorquez, the new punter. It's never a good thing when the punter is the player of the game, but that guy with his banana punt, really, uh, it was nice to see a, an, an athletic-looking fellow back there just booting the ball. That's so funny. Um, and I like to cap off with my prediction. I think the Packers get it done. They make the adjustments they need to. They establish a run, and we get back to smiling on Tuesday. Uh, Packers win 28-17. At home on the frozen tundra at Lambeau Field. Before we wrap up this episode of the Weekly Cheese, I do have a, a Packers relic here to share for the Relic of the Week segment here on the Weekly Cheese. Last week it was the John Runyon Jr. jersey, Acme Packers jersey. Um, one of one. A one of one. And this week, throwing another jersey into the mix another one of one a, a little less elusive than the than the Runyon Jr. <laughs> Acme Packer jersey something someone could easily create themselves because this one did in fact come from the pro shop uh, but it is a good introduction to my persona on Sundays uh, uh, during the week and during the weekly cheese I am your host Joe Ivan but on Sundays, so or in this week's case, Monday night, I am the Cheese Bandit. And what I have here, and I'll post a picture of it, is a one-of-one one Green Bay Packers number 30 Cheese Bandit jersey. The reason I decided to have it on the, the show here as the Relic of the Week uh, this week is not only because it is a uh, number 30 jersey to pay homage to Jamal Williams, who... Is the and John Coon, but but since we're playing the Lions this week, Jamal Williams, a, a great number thirty, if I do say so myself. But also because it was gifted to me for Christmas last year by none other than Chris here. Uh, Chris was kind enough to customize the Cheese Bandit a, uh, a home jersey. So here it is in all its glory, the the weekly relic, the the number thirty Cheese Bandit jersey. From the Packers Pro Show. Yeah, dude, it's a beautiful jersey. It was my honor to gift that to you. I mean, I don't think the listeners understand what passion and true emotion the Cheese Bandit possesses. I don't think they understand the get-up and the allure of the Cheese Bandit. But it was needed. You needed to, You needed it for the arsenal. It completes the get-up, and now people will oh, see sure. you strutting around Lambo as the, green, the Cheese Bandit. I'm sure if the Cheese Bandit was here, he would have been very flattered to hear what you just had to say about him uh, regarding his uh, energy and, and passion on game days. Um, that was very sweet words. Again, I'm sure he'd be very honored to hear that. Uh, I can attest to what Chris is saying. The Cheese Bandit is—he's uh, a true madman. He is—he is a one passionate fan, and uh, this is his jersey. And it's a real cool thing that here on the Weekly Cheese Podcast we're able to have the Cheese Bandit jersey. And uh, that'll do it for this this episode of the Weekly Cheese. I mean, really, really tough week one. Uh, it was a lot to think about, a lot to absorb, but ultimately it left me feeling with like there's really not a lot to say because I 
personally truly believe it was just one week. And and on on Tuesday on Tuesday morning, we're I'm going to be waking up in a good mood, feeling good about the Packers because they get back to the business on Monday night against the Lions. It was a very disheartening performance. I don't expect it to become a pattern. And yeah, it's it's well. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. But I still feeling good. Uh, the song you heard at the beginning of the show, I don't remember if I commented on it or not. Uh, how foolish of me if I didn't. I just got right into it. That was, of course, none other than the great Eddie J. Lemberger, the king of Packers polka music. And that was the Packer tearjerker love song. Shout out to Eddie J. Uh, the, truly the best in Packers music, if I do say so myself. Um that was probably one of my favorites of his. I've heard a couple oh, before, but it, that one was the Packer tearjerker love song was is a masterpiece. It. It, it perfectly set the tone for this week. It was very mellow, and I, we love the Green Bay Packers here on the Weekly Cheese. And I know all the listeners out there love the Green Bay Packers as well. That'll do it for this episode. Talk to you next week, hopefully with a much happier and positive tone. Until then. Remember, the cheese stands alone. Chris, thanks for being here, and uh, talk to you all next week. Go Pack Go. Go Pack.